Um, cool. oh, should I be quiet? No, 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 no that's, that's right. Not, no, I, just, no. I, just, oh, okay. I just kicked the recording <laughs> in since we were talking about interesting um, things. Right, so, okay. Uh, Rob McGregor welcome you to a place where all kinds of phenomena flourish. Voices whisper, ancient secrets, signs and symbols are abundant. UFOs, ETs, ghosts, and even the dead move about freely. Here we meet authors, researchers, and investigators of the mysterious, the strange, and of the inexplicable anomalies that surround us. Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into the mystical underground. Welcome to the mystical underground. Thank you for joining us. This is Rob McGregor and Trish McGregor and our producer and tech magician, John Posey. You can go to themysticalunderground.com where we make regular blog posts and where you can find out about our books. Among them are Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Abilities, The Secrets of Spirit Communication, Sensing the Future, and Aliens in the Backyard. Our upcoming book is called The Shift, Reports from the Mystical Underground. Trisha's new novel, White Crows, will be coming out uh, this year. May 24th. Okay. And uh, <laughs> sorry. my... Uh, uh, I am slowly releasing the audio edition of Indiana Jones and the Staff of Kings. Okay. Our guest today is Marie D. Jones, and she's a best-selling author of nonfiction and fiction and a screenwriter producer with her own company called Where's Lucy Productions. She's appeared on television and on radio all over the world and has hundreds of credits writing for magazines, guest blogs, reviews, short stories, online articles, and gift books. She's lectured widely on the paranormal, unknown anomalies, cutting-edge science, metaphysics, and human consciousness. For a longer bio, we'll put the link up on the podcast. Welcome, Marie. Welcome. Hello there. <laughs> I've been really looking forward to this. I was to see you, but didn't <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, tell your son to return that webcam. <laughs> Yeah. I so, hardly use it, but, you know, every now and then it is kind of, I have to, yeah, if I can really quickly tell you why I have a computer with no webcam, Okay. this <laughs> relates to a book that I wrote years ago called Mind Wars, mm-hmm. and it was about mind control and, and social engineering, right. a lot of things that are obviously going on today, and this was, you know, maybe <laughs> eight years ago. Well, during that time, I had a webcam, and it would keep coming on, and uh, I would hear clicks. And my son kind of checked it out and he said, mom, you know, it's taking pictures. <laughs> and he's like, you might want to disable it. So I, at the time I, um, it was a built in. <laughs> so oh I got rid of it. And so my desktop has no webcam. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was really creepy. I mean, I don't know if that's what, what was happening, but it only happened. That once. is creepy. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but yes, I do need to, uh, I wonder if that has to do with the alien stuff. Well, you know what's funny? I got, I was being sort of subtly harassed by the Church of Scientology. Oh, God. (laughs) Um, After the book came out, they were sending me letters, you know, personal handwritten letters that I've Mm. saved, all of them. Just, uh, you know, we'd like to talk to you. And we think that, you know, Mm. and, and it was just so weird. It was so creepy. Um, yeah. <laughs> you didn't get any snakes in your mailbox, I hope. <laughs> I was really, really careful at the time to have a PO box, and I actually ended up getting rid of that too. Uh, wow. I call it paranoia. Right. I mean, who knows? But <laughs> yeah. well, you know, that happened to us. It's something similar when we came out with aliens in the backyard. When Rob did the original post for that. I noticed that we were getting all these hits from government agencies, the FBI, the DEA, the agencies I never even heard of. And even the Royal Canadian Police who parked themselves Uh on the blog for eight hours one day. Yeah, because because this was uh, focused on uh, someone who had this experience in in, uh, Canada. so, the <laughs> amount of police. Yeah. Okay. Creepy, That's creepy. Bizarre. Yeah. I had an MIB experience um, when I was 
really, really active with MUFON in the 90s. And the abduction phenomenon was just kind of, I mean, it had been going on for a while, but it was just really exploding and coming mm -hmm. into the media. And mm -hmm. um, right. I had, I this was before cell phones. This was before caller ID. And I was getting <laughs> phone calls from someone who was obviously using a voice changer. It sounded very robotic. Oh, but huh. the person the person could tell me exactly what I was wearing, oh what God. books were on my nightstand. Personal oh, that is things, Yeah, personal things that, you know, nobody should have known about. And it was so terrifying to me that I, I left the UFO field for good huh. for a long, long time. And that was heartbreaking to me because, I mean, that's like my first love um, mm. when it comes to like the paranormal, but mm -hmm. that is really creepy, you know, but it just kind of shows you, you guys are, you get on the radar and I don't know why they don't realize that when that happens, you're going to think, Hey, <laughs> we're really onto something here. Yeah. Right. Because if you're not, they're not going to pay attention. They don't care, you know, who you are. So, Ooh, yeah. creepy. Give me goosebumps. Yeah. yeah. We had, we had a, a, a skeptic of very, uh, strong <laughs> skeptic that came after us. Uh, and uh, he just focused on us. And it was like, uh, you know, he, he was just uh, ready to come down and find us. And he, <gasps> he uh, and he was very good with the, the computer and he, he was a computer he, guy. He, he took oh over, he took, he took over our computers. We uh, trashed like four of our computers. Uh, took over the blog. Right. What and, the heck? Yeah. I took over the blog and apologize, had us apologizing to him. But the uh. freaky, but the freakiest experiences right in the midst of this, when this was going on, it was really intense. We were in this uh, little Island off the West coast of Florida called uh, Cedar key. And suddenly the, the room started shaking and the, there was a television in the closet that started shaking. I thought it was going to fall down. The, sh uh, the, the blinds were sh sh shaking. I remember I thought, that. There, there is a, there must be an earthquake here in Cedar <laughs> Key. So we, oh, we, no. we, we contacted uh, the local uh, uh, police and authorities and no, there's no, there's no uh, <laughs> earthquake anywhere. <laughs> it, was, it was just like a personal thing that, and, you know, and it was interesting that we were dealing with that guy and uh, I don't think I generated it, but I think he did. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you guys know what targeted individuals are, right? Yes. And yeah. I mean, that sounds like <laughs> that sounds like even our dog noticed targeted. It. Yeah, yeah. it's weird. He he was a close ally of the amazing Randy. You know, <laughs> familiar with him. You know, it. Oh, that's so creepy. I mean, I'm yeah. glad you guys are okay, but it, at the time, it's terrifying. Yeah, it was, and uh, we had to kind of cut things off and uh, start start over again. <laughs> At the time, but here you are still going on. Oh, yeah, here we are. Yes, on. And, yeah. and that's the thing it's like you know, you may stall us, but you're not gonna stop us. True, mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, that's that's creepy. Yeah, yeah, well, how did, how did, have a lot of earthquakes. <laughs> yeah, no, especially not up in this place. <laughs> yeah. How did you get interested in exploring the metaphysical world, the paranormal? Oh my gosh, I was like this. I think at age three or four. That I was, sounds like me. You know, yeah, it's weird. I was into ghosts and especially uh -huh. UFOs, which is really weird because I mean, at that age, I don't know if I was just extra perceptive. I, my dad was really into UFOs and he was a scientist. He was a geophysicist. So I, huh. I might've heard him talking about it, but um, I recall being maybe four years old and we lived in New York um, not in the city and not upstate. We lived in the Hudson Valley area, Rockland County. Uh -huh. And I remember looking out my bedroom window because we had woods behind our house and thinking that I saw Bigfoot. <laughs> now, oh, you boy. know, years later, it's like, how did I know what Bigfoot was? I might have yeah. heard it on, I think, In Search of was popular then or some show. Anyway, but it just, it was, I was always really, really, really interested in science and always really, really, really interested in the science of, I guess, the unknown or the unseen. Mm -hmm. 
And I never, ever thought that there was a division until I got older and people told me there was, you know. Um, But yeah, since I was a teenager, I was heavily into ufology and um, yeah, Tr- Tr- Trish and I always just felt that it was just kind of natural yes. uh, thing to be interested <laughs> in this kind of stuff, uh, you know, uh, mysteries of the unknown. But then we found out that we kind of uh, for a while lived in separate worlds where nobody around either of us were, were seemed to be interested in this stuff. So we <laughs> you just were, kinda, are you trying to nicely say that you were freaks? Oh <laughs> yeah, yes, you might say that. And, and then, uh, then we met each other and found out, hey, there's another freak. <laughs> I've had a lot of people ask, um, because when I was really small, I had a really vivid dream that I'm not sure was the dream of, um, just to, to make it real quick, I was looking down through down our driveway through the open garage door to the back window where I saw it looked like a skull looking at me. Ooh. And years, and, and it stayed, I mean, I can still see it in my head, and it was so real that Years later, when I first saw a picture of a gray, I was like, that's what I saw. Oh, geez. Now, I can't prove that. Mm-hmm. I can't say that I wasn't dreaming or, you know, uh-huh. I was really young and I'm 60. So this was a long time ago. Hmm. This was long before this stuff entered the pop culture right. uh, mm-hmm. arena. And so later, you know, years later, when I written some books and things, people would ask, you know, why haven't you ever had a hypnotic regression to see if something happened? And I said, well, first of all, I don't really know if I want to know. <laughs> but second, I've never felt, even though I've had some things happen that kind of lean that way, I've never really felt compelled to know. Because huh. I feel like if I find out nothing happened, I'm, that, that might really bum me out <laughs> if I find <laughs> out something did happen. That's you know that's gonna change my life. So yeah, but it was weird. I mean, it's like I, I and now to this day, I think what was going on at the time that I might have been exposed to, where I would have seen that kind of stuff. And you know the difference between a dream, yeah, and something a little different. Mm. You know, yeah. did you ever talk about this stuff with your dad since he was? Okay, so yeah. <laughs> yes. So I have to say, all of my creativity and writing talent comes from my mom. <laughs> and she was, you know, more spiritual. We grew up fallen Roman Catholics, but, mm-hmm. you know, my mom uh, was always telling us stories. So all that came from my mom. And my love of science and the paranormal came from my dad. Huh. And when my dad, I was about seven years old. And my dad was, I think, attending Columbia University or Fairfield or whatever. Anyway, geophysics and seismology. But he would get together with some of his colleagues and they would talk about UFOs. And I I used to sit like under the table and listen. (laughs) And then we had a neighbor who lived across the street who was a firefighter who was obsessed with UFOs and gave Mm. my dad copies of uh, flying saucers and the three men or, you know, some of these like classics. And I've still got them. They're all dog-eared and falling apart. (laughs) So, um, but throughout the years when my dad and I would talk, we had several things in common that we liked to talk about. One was uh, earth science, natural disasters, one was racehorses. We were really, he was really, really into the great racehorses of the past and kind of got me hooked on that. And the other thing was the paranormal. And my dad told me, he died um, in 2011, but he told me that a lot of people in the scientific community, in the halls of academia, what have you, are, are total believers. Huh. But they can't be vocal about it because of that stigma. Now, more recently, we've seen a lot of scientists like Michio Kaku and, Uh um, you know, a lot of physicists, especially writing about things that are clearly kind of cross the bridge over to the paranormal. Uh So it's a a lot more acceptable now, especially with books being uh, more of a thing. But um, yeah, look what happened to John Mack. 
you know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he was brilliant. And, And, you know, it's like, as a scientist, aren't you supposed to go beyond the the boundaries of known science and see what else might be out there? But apparently he had some trouble do that. Privately, but not talk about it while you were on the job. Yeah, you know. I also wonder if his death, you know, where he was hit by a car, if that was, you know, intentional. I know it, right? You get too close to the truth. Somebody out there doesn't want doesn't want you to. And I see that happen a lot with whistleblowers and you know the quote unquote conspiracy world, which I have to say recently. Just about every conspiracy theory I ever researched has come true. Mm-hmm. And um, so you see a lot of that. And I know that there have been people in the past, especially in the field of ufology, that have been threatened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people have died mysteriously or been shut down in some other way. And I kind of felt like when my mysterious phone caller, that's what that person was trying to do was scare yeah. me because at the time we we were having people coming to our organization to tell us about their abduction experiences. And again, this was at a time when it was just sort of breaking out of, you know, the uh, Betty Barney Hill and a right. handful of others. Right. And um, there were some cases that, and this was a MUFON group that I actually started with a gal named Laura, I won't say her last name. And she ended up, she ended up having people on her property. God. Trespassing. Yeah. Their house was broken into many times, but nothing was ever taken. It was like familiar. She and her family packed up and literally moved to another state at the same exact time. You know, and it's like, we're just podunk people. Come on. You know, but apparently we were, we might have been on to something or we might have been talking to someone who, right. um, you know, there were some really interesting cases that we were looking at. And to this day, I have no idea. I actually found out that one guy who really, who worked at a, a military base and really had an unusual experience is still trying to get people to take him seriously. And I mean, this is from the nineties, at least he's alive. I was really, because they, they're not on Facebook. I mean, there are a lot of mm-hmm. these people that I've tried to track down and, you know, they're either operating under another name, but they're just not on social media. And I found a reference to him through someone else that I knew. And I thought, oh, God, at least he's alive. Because he was one of the people that I was really concerned about. Huh. Marie, Marie, what was the first book you wrote related to the metaphysical world, the paranormal? Um, and what year was so, that? Do you remember? Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I wanted to be a novelist. Like I wanted to, when I was young, I wanted to be like Stephen King or Jackie Collins, right. either one. Or Stephen King. Combine the two genres. <laughs> that would be kind of fun. But <laughs> so I was always writing short stories. But I was writing a lot of other stuff. And for some strange reason, I got the urge to write this book called Looking for God in All the Wrong Places. Hmm. And it was sort of fun, comedic, almost lighthearted spiritual commentary on how we're always looking outside of ourselves for you know, uh-huh. happiness, blah, blah, fulfillment, blah, blah, blah. And this was the very first nonfiction. I had no clue what I was doing. And it got picked up by a publisher called Paraview Publishing. Right. It yeah, sold maybe that. 10 copies. <laughs> but my uh, Lisa Hagen, who's my current nonfiction agent, she somehow saw it and we connected. And she's been, you know, she's been my nonfiction book agent ever since. And from yeah. there, I said, hey, I would really like to write a book about things that my dad and I have been discussing, which are links between the paranormal, and I'm using that in a really broad term to mean all of the paranormal, and quantum physics, theoretical physics, uh-huh. you know, uh, noetics, all this stuff. And she said, well, you don't have a, any kind of scientific <laughs> title or credential. Mm-hmm. So, you know, do a proposal, but it, I got to tell you, it's, it's probably not going to work. Well, well, I, you know, I think at the time I was like into the law of attraction, even though I had no right. idea what it was, but, um, but it, we got a publisher within three months and that huh. became 
science, P-S-I-E-N-C-E. Okay. Okay. Which yeah. completely changed everything. I remember being on Coast to Coast AM and I got thousands of emails huh. after the show from overnight, like long haul truckers and, right. you know, people that were listening. And I guess uh, it was one of their, at the time, one of their most um, highly listened to shows that they did. Was this with George and, Nury? Yeah, uh-huh. it was amazing. Yeah, he's I, had people, I had people emailing saying, why don't you and George get married? You guys were so... <laughs> like, Are you really? <laughs> I, should get I don't know him that well. But anyway, that kind of took off. And then um, the next book I did, I think was... Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't even remember. Well, it was either 2013... No, it was 11-11 maybe? No, no, no. It was, I think, 2013. <laughs> I have to get them in order one day, but it was literally like boom, boom, boom. I started working with Larry Flaxman after he contacted me, and we found out we had a lot in common. We did a bunch of books, and boom, 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 boom. And then, and fairly recently, I realized, you know what? I'm kind of neglecting my fiction here. So I'm taking a little bit of a break before I start my next nonfiction book. And then after that, I'm going to take a little bit of a sabbatical <laughs> where I'm just going to get, I have some novels that um, are done <laughs> mm-hmm. and need to make their way out in the world. But yeah, it was weird. As soon as science came out and the publisher didn't even question because I said, you know, my dad will vet all of the science and I actually ended up getting access to a lot of amazing physicists who who obviously a lot of what I wrote about in that book was sort of speculative, you know, but, mm-hmm. but it wasn't off. Like it wasn't wrong. Right. You know, <clears throat> so that really changed everything. Who published yeah, yeah. that book? Perfect. That was okay. So most of the books that I done were new page books. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. We one did book some books there. With, yeah. One book with Red Will Weiser, uh, which now owns New Page, which right. is called The Grid. And then the last six books I've done, and I've got two more coming, were with Visible Ink Press. And I've always loved, you know, having a publisher that I could really rely on who, um, what do you want to do, Marie? What would you like to write about next? Or they'll come to me sometimes. Like mm-hmm. The Afterlife was not my idea. That was the publisher, uh, Roger Janekiet. Visible Ink Press saying, hey, you know, I'd really like to do a book on the afterlife. Are you interested? <laughs> Are you crazy? Wow. Yeah, interesting. That's fascinating. But the next book I'm doing is about the science and spirituality. It's a happiness manual. And I wanted uh, to do that. And he's like, let's do it. There's a huge market. I want to know, is there any kind of scientific basis for, you know, happiness and blah, blah, blah. So it's been such I've had such great luck even with New Page Press they allowed me to do a book called Super Volcano that I wrote with my dad now that had nothing to do with the paranormal which was kind of the direction that we were you know most of the books that I was going to do were metaphysical paranormal uh, consciousness that Uh kind of stuff but they allowed me to do that and um, and then later you know we did I did Mind Wars, which was way different. Uh, um, and then I did, you know, another really unusual book that veered off a little from that was Viral Mythology and then The Power of Archetypes. So here's, th- I mean, you guys know this, but once you prove yourself as a writer and that you can do the research, uh, publishers will usually trust you to take on the things that you really want to write about. Uh-huh. And, and I do my I do really good research, and I'm proud of that. Hmm. What prompted yeah. you to write a book about eleven uh, eleven? So that one, <laughs> <laughs> Michael Pye, who was the acquisitions editor at New, <clears throat> New Page Press at the time, uh, asked me, "Hey Marie, have you ever thought about writing about the eleven eleven phenomenon?" And I emailed back and I said, "Huh? <laughs> 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 huh? What?" say what <laughs> and so at the, and that was the very first book I ever wrote with Larry Flaxman and we were looking for something to write about and I 
remember talking to Larry and saying, have you ever heard, you know, what is this 11-11 thing? So we did a little bit of research. We were like, whoa, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll do the book, yeah. Then I bet and you the start seeing 11-11 everywhere, right? <laughs> well, yeah, but here's what's funny is my dad, again, the scientist, had kept saying to me, you need to write about numbers one day. And I said, Dad, I hate numbers. I hate math. And he said, no, no, no. There is a, a very metaphysical aspect to, to numbers and mathematical right. ratios and, you know, patterns. And the whole universe is based on specific mathematical blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever, Dad. So, <laughs> <laughs> so when that opportunity came up, it, it was a a chance for me to kind of, and with Larry to dive into numbers and how they are in and of themselves a, a language. And there they are really are. are small. Mm. Yes. The language of the universe is, is numeric. It's mathematical. And so, the, and that would happen a lot where, you know, the publisher would suggest, Hey, you know, we need somebody to write about um, like deja vu enigma. Uh-huh. Um, and then sometimes, when somebody asks you to write about something like that, you're thinking, well, how much can I really find out about deja vu? Yeah. But, I liked what you said about deja vu in your book. That's interesting. Yeah, And the thing is, is when you start researching deja vu, you get sucked into this rabbit hole of memory and consciousness and is uh -huh. memory stored in the brain or outside the brain and, you know, all this other stuff. Stuff. And that's really the most fun part of of doing these books is not necessarily the topic that you start out with, right? But where they lead to. <laughs> yeah. How about spirit communication? Did that uh, you find any links between the the elevens and uh, spirit contact? You know, it's funny because I just the afterlife book. A lot of um, like I wrote a whole section on mediumship, spirit uh -huh. communication, talking to the dead, what have you. And there are a lot of people that, so with the 11-11 phenomenon, there are two different theories that we looked at in the book. And one, of course, is the boring scientific theory that our brains seek order out of chaos. Mm -hmm. um, they seek pattern. Right. And also importance. So, for example, if you see 11-11 once, oh, no big deal. It's 11-11. Yeah, I got to go make my kid lunch, whatever. If you see it twice at the same day, you know, maybe once on a clock, once on a billboard or whatever. Mm. Oh, 11-11, big deal. But if you see it start a to third see it time, again, <laughs> then you're like, whoa, right. And your brain, your reticular activating system, which is located near the brainstem, filters all of the information that we have bombarded bombarding our brains coming at us. And what it does is it filters out the unimportant stuff and basically filters in what we need to survive or what we think is important. Well, now your brain filter is allowing you to see that pattern. Mm -hmm. And maybe yeah. it was always there. You're just honing in on it. Right. So like for me, before, uh, well, when we were writing 11.11, I started to see it everywhere. But before that, I never saw it. What I saw was 3.33. Okay. Woke up at 3.33, still do almost every night. So it really doesn't matter what, what your quote-unquote time prompt is. It's, you know, yeah. it's just something that becomes important to your brain. And so your brain will seek it out. Yeah. And well, the other theory. We had an interesting experience uh, with the number 137. Uh, we, oh, went yeah. to, we went to <laughs> Toronto, and as soon as we got into Toronto, everything we saw, 137, huge sign uh, uh, on a building, 137. And uh, then 137, whatever the address was, had, had moved to another 137 address. <laughs> and the thing is, we were in Toronto to talk about the number 137 uh, and, on, on the show. And Weirder. Polly. 
yeah, and Paul and Polly, yeah, the physicist uh, 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 on a show called Weirder What with the the Star Trek guy. What's what's his name? Uh, Kirk. Kirk. Uh, yeah. William Shatner. <laughs> William Shatner. Weirder oh, wow. What show? Yeah, and so it was really strange. I mean, even well, what after- did it mean to you guys? I mean, did you have well? Like, did you know why you were seeing that particular number? Well, yeah, because Wolfgang Pauli had an obsession with the number one thirty-seven, and it was defined by a man who wrote about the unusual friendship between Pauli and Jung, whose name I can't recall right now. David Bohm? No, no, it wasn't Bohm. Oh, okay. It was somebody else. And um, 137 is the DNA of light. And it's a prime number. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. And Wolfgang Pauli, when when he was 58, he went into the hospital for routine surgery. And when he discovered, he was obsessed with the number his whole life. But when he went to the hospital and found out he was in room 137, he told his assistant, I'm not going to come out of here alive. And he didn't. <gasps> he died. Yeah. yeah. So, so, okay, that's kind of creepy. Yeah, it is creepy. <laughs> so it's it's odd enough that uh, we went to Toronto to talk about the number 137. <laughs> and then everywhere yeah. we went, we saw 137. <laughs> It, it was important to you. And I mean, that sounds mundane, but at the same time, what's really kind of paranormal or, or yeah. metaphysical or supernatural about it, that is. There was just what? a feeling. There was just a feeling in the air around us that just, you know, that it was crackling with uh, yeah. the paranormal. <laughs> right. But here's the thing. So what that does is that you have to ask yourself, what is my brain filtering out? <laughs> Yeah. Holy moly. I mean, <laughs> you know, could this be why some people see a ghost? Like I was on the Queen Mary once and um, we were doing the investigation thing and, the, you know, people all around me were like, oh, my God, look, look. And I'm like, I don't see anything, you know. <laughs> was my brain, because I do have a sort of scientific, skeptical aspect yeah. to me, um, you know, so what? So that number 137, your brain was like, okay, I'm going to let that through the gates, folks. Yeah. Come on in. You know, you got you to gotta pass. Come on through. Well, you know, like, what, what is it? What are we filtering out? Can you even imagine? Well, you know, one time <laughs> we, uh, we had gone, we'd, we were on a trip to California, and 33 kept showing up again and again and again. The row number, the seat number, you know, the ticket number, just repeatedly. So I I went to uh, the I Ching and looked up hexagram 3033 and it's the hexagram title is retreat. And at that huh. time it really described we were in retreat from my parents because my dad had Parkinson's, my mother had Alzheimer's and the whole family wow. situation was becoming really overwhelming. We were in retreat. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Yeah. So, and that brings up another thing. You know, the people that believe that there is some kind of spiritual aspect to their time prompts. You, you were, you actually were able to find a connection, right? And a lot of people don't like. They're like, "Why am I seeing this? You know, nothing's happening." Like, if I wake up at eleven eleven at night, well, they expect something to happen right at that moment. Yeah. And well, and maybe something does, but maybe it doesn't. But how many people don't go look for the meaning of those numbers or the symbolism of those numbers? And, well, and you, I, did. you know, it happens so frequently. I mean, I thought, I know this is significant to the trip. So that's why I turned to the yeah. I Ching. And, you know, people who see 11 in the hexagram uh, in the I Ching hexagram 11, I believe is peace. Huh? Peace. And I like, you know, the the symmetry of the 1111. Yeah. Because, like I see, you know, 333. Well, that's, yeah, it's repetitive, but it's not really symmetrical. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, it's funny, my agent, Lisa, who I talked about earlier, she told me when we were writing the book that her mom, that they used to get together in the 1970s for like coffee clutches, that's what they were called back then. Right. And they would talk about 1111 and they're like, I had no idea. Really? Jeez. Yes. Mm. And I and it really surprised me because this is, you know, doing a lot of research and realizing that that's how far back, probably even went further back, but nobody wanted to talk about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, they'd have like these discussions and, and it's weird because I still to this day now, because I wrote the book and it's become important to me, obviously, 
I'll see 1111, but not that much. Hmm. Still for me, it's the threes. And I ended up writing a book called The Trinity Secret (laughs) because for me personally, the number three, and obviously, you know, they're, they're, they're Nikola Tesla felt that right. it's not, you know, the three and different variations are very important. Three is the, considered the number of perfection, but mm-hmm. every now and then I'll see 1111 and, and, or I'll see 444 or whatever. And you know right. what it does? It, it snaps me into the present moment. Mm-hmm. And, and so a lot of the people that we talked to that had the more spiritual excuse me, um, interpretation said that that's what it did for them, that it got them into the present. And then for a lot of people, something synchronistic would happen. Mm-hmm. You know, they might yeah. notice a, be in a bookstore and a book falls right. at their feet, or they bump into someone who ends up, you know, looking for a job the person was looking for. Mm-hmm. So I always thought that they're definitely connected to, getting us in the present moment because that's where synchronicities happen. Like you can't, that's true. Yeah. You you don't have synchronistic experiences. If you're spending all your time worrying about the past or stressing over the future. Right. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. We've written quite a bit about synchronicity over the years. And so we seem to have a lot of synchronicities, (laughs) but we run into people who, you know, one guy, very seriously told me that he had one synchronicity in his life, you know, and he went on and explained it in great detail, which I didn't understand at all. But, uh, you know, it's interesting that some people seem to be very intuitive, psychic, and others not so much. And I wonder, do you think people are born with uh, ability or is something that can be uh, developed? What is it? It's funny because I was you know, when I was researching mediumship, what I found that was really interesting is that there are a lot of people that kind of were sort of born with that talent and a uh-huh. lot who developed it later. Mm-hmm. And I think it's I think it's something that we can all do, but it's like singing. We don't all do it well. It's a yeah. Because here's the thing, if one human being is capable of doing it and we're all you know, made up of the same stuff, basically, then we should all be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And we can all sing. Uh, we can hum or whatever. Especially in the shower. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I definitely think that there are people that are are really super talented and skilled and gifted at sensing or um, having, but here's the thing, maybe they're also just more open. They're That's more what I, you have focused. to be receptive, I think, well, too. Well, well, and right. hey, that I was going to throw in, uh, is it really a skill you develop or, well, or maybe the skill is you're just paying attention? Is that? Or awareness. Yeah. I mean, I think you could sit there and go, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do some seminars and learn how to be things. No, I think it's <laughs> opening and but being present and maybe these time prompts mm-hmm. are a reminder, you know, sort of like the universal poke saying if you don't wake up to the present moment, you might miss something important. Hello, hello. <laughs> you know, you know is anybody for, home? <laughs> for a while, also it goes through periods. For a while, I was seeing a lot of 444, you know, clock, microwave oven, that kind of thing. And to me, what it eventually told me, or what I eventually interpreted, was that the four is the foundation. You know, if you're going to build something, you need four. Right, like the four corners. Right, the, the four corners, right, yeah. Right. <clears throat> and the, so it was telling me we need to build something else. And that's when we started our blog. This was back in 2009, I think. I thought, okay, let's do a blog on synchronicity. That's what we did. Well, and that's cool because, like, maybe you will stop after you get the message, quote, unquote, and do what they're prompting you to do. Uh-huh. And then maybe like a new time prompt and, and they don't have to be numbers. Some people see images or like right. owls or black swans that happened to me for about a year. Where, and the funny thing is that I was writing a novel at the time about a white swan and a black swan. And all of a sudden <laughs> now I'm seeing black swans on the sides That's of funny. my truck, you know, <laughs> but so you did your blog. Did you continue to see it all the time? Or do you feel like. No, I, I, I learned, you know, I, I went back to Jung, and one of the things that Jung said about numbers is that when they're repetitive, when you have clusters yeah. of them, that what's happening is you're opening up to 
on an archetype, which made sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and let me throw this one in as well, because when you buy a new car, suddenly everybody has that model car. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And this, uh, the last car I got, this uh, Mazda CX-5, I got this unusual color. I thought it was an unusual color, blue. Now I see them all over the place. Uh, uh, I know it, right? That's the color, like the what, pink Cadillac or purple Cadillac? Yeah, right. Where you think, oh, I'm going to be the only human being in the city of whatever to have a purple Cadillac and drive it off the lot after you paid 70 yeah. whatever brand. Boom. <laughs> There's yeah. five of them right there. Oh, and they were always there, right? right yeah. yeah, I see them uh, in front of me. I see them driving next to me, you know, the same <gasps> car. <laughs> Rob, tell her your Zen story. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> this, this is a really good one. Yeah. Okay, I, I was with a, a couple of people uh, that were, uh, I had uh, met one of them uh, in South America, and um, we'd kept in touch. And uh, she was back uh, coming into the States. She was uh, from Norway and she had a friend who was uh, with her, uh, uh, who is kind of a, like a new age metaphysician, whatever, reverend in Jamaica. And anyhow, they, they stayed with me a couple of days. And then I was taking him to the airport in Miami. And we got into this spiritual talk on the way, and there's just this feeling in the air. I mean, uh, that it, the air, like I said before, the air was was crackling with the paranormal and the, the spiritual. And so this car drives by us, and I point out, look, it, it says uh, Zen 665. And on the license plate. On, on the license plate, yeah. And uh, the guy, I can't remember his name now. He said, wouldn't it be interesting if we saw Zen 666? Not two minutes oh. later, Zen 666 <laughs> drove past us. You know? Oh, how funny. And what, what are the likelihood of that? And then a couple, a couple years later, I see it again, <laughs> the same car. Or it wasn't the same car. It was a different car, but with that license plate, Zen Oh, that 666. is funny. It's like you it was know? a club. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, really. <laughs> That's yeah, funny. It, yeah it, it just, and to me, like some people will say, well, that's, you know, big deal. But that to me no. is almost as paranormal, if not more so, than things like ghosts or right. UFOs. Yeah. Because what it's telling us is the power of our own brain or consciousness or perception <clears throat> to see some things and not others. And so then the question becomes, you know, how do you shift that so that you're going to be seeing and perceiving more stuff like ghosts or, or what have yeah, daily. <laughs> and so all these people that say, oh, it doesn't exist. Well, you know, they're, they're existing in, in a very sort of tunnel vision, a limited uh, perception. And who knows, you know, why some people are, are they seem to, this stuff seems to happen to them constantly mm-hmm. i but even i don't have a lot of experiences like that but i yeah. have enough you know well it's even not, michael Shermer, you know who started the skeptic magazine who didn't yeah. believe in synchronicity he had some really remember the story rob when he was gonna about to get married right, he was about to get married to a german woman and uh she had she, no family around yeah she she was feeling sad because uh she had no family around and uh, she had some things that she had taken from Germany with her. And one of them was her grandfather's old radio, and it, but it didn't work. That day, it started working, playing oh. a, love, a love song. Uh, and, oh. it, and it played for an hour before the, the, the wedding. And after that, it never would work again. <laughs> and he, he wrote, wrote about this wrote about Scientific in Scientific American. Yeah, that would says, creep uh, me out. Yeah. But yeah. the thing is, you know, I mean, for if you're a diehard skeptic, you're never ever gonna believe anybody else until something happens. You experience happens. it, yeah. But, you? Yet, <laughs> but yet, two years later, he was back to being totally skeptical. About yeah, everything. yeah. Isn't that? It's like a default. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't hold. It didn't last. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and you know the interesting thing about that though is that the more skeptics and scientists and what have you that have experiences. And then, you know, they're going to help us because I believe and I've always believed that there is a science to everything. And the word science 
really just means how something happens or how it works or, you know, what are the mechanisms behind how it manifests in our reality, blah, blah, blah. Well, we're always going to be learning new things about the science of this or that. Uh-huh. And, and so those people are really important to the field because they help us get closer to understanding how this stuff works. And each time, like, you know, with the, the uh, near-death experiences, when you have a neurosurgeon, right. <laughs> like Dr. Eben Alexander, who has uh-huh. a near-death experience. And writes it, about it. <laughs> it. Yeah. I mean, it, I hate to say it because I think everybody, nobody's lying and everybody's credible, but it does add uh, some credibility to what's know, happening Bruce, when somebody like that becomes like a total convert because it happened to them. Well, and well, Bruce Grayson. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Real quick, Trish, before you go there, just to circle back around, because when I'm saying it's a skill versus paying attention, that's uh-huh. not, that, I'm, I'm saying that you've got to be looking for it. You got to be looking mm-hmm. for it. Like the couple of times, a couple of interesting things I've told you guys about. Well, you had to be looking for it. If if I didn't look, if I didn't look, you know, if if I wasn't looking out the window or right. looking up in the you sky would, uh-huh. at the time, you're not. You have to be looking for it. So right. maybe paying attention. Yeah. And you know, and maybe uh, yeah, maybe it is. And and maybe awareness too. I think attention. I think a lot of. I think a lot of people have synchronicities, but they don't know it they, they're, because they're not paying attention. And they think, oh, that's interesting. That's just a coincidence. But, but th- then they they just drop it. And uh, that's that was strange and, and never think about it again. Uh, so I think or they that, call it a coincidence and they yes. just sort of they don't go any further. They right. Yeah, off. exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. Also, or dumb the luck. Thing- I've heard people say dumb. Oh, that was just dumb luck. No, there's nothing <laughs> dumb about it, you moron. <laughs> But that's like spirit contact, too. A lot of people have spirit contact, but they think, oh, that was interesting. You know, and then that's it. Or they just shut it down and deny it. Yeah, or deny it. Out of their wheelhouse, you know. Right. Or fear. I mean, I think fear. But, you know, the whole thing with, with the, was it Young who said that synchronicities, they occur on the, oh, who said it? That they occur on the hidden implicate order. Yes, that was a, yeah, on the yeah, on the border. That's what he said. Yeah. Yes, we only see the manifestations in our reality, and we think, "Oh, wow, what a coincidence!" But we don't see all the stuff going on underneath on the hidden level exactly. of reality right. that brought that stuff together. <laughs> yeah, and and this uh, leads into a question about archetypes, which are something from deeper within us as well. And uh, you've written a book about archetypes and those, these mysterious symbols and. You say, I found this interesting, you say they run our lives, uh, yet many of us are unaware of them. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I think it ties directly into all of the, you know, we know that the subconscious runs, what, 98% of, of our behaviors and actions and thoughts and mm-hmm. because of those patterns that have been built up over time, especially childhood. And we sort of take on certain archetypes and we and we hold on to them for dear life. And Mm -hmm. it might be, let's say a really good example is a a victim. You know, if you're constantly whining and complaining and moaning that somebody did this, that, and that to you, and you throughout your life have been in uh, situations where you have either played the victim, been the victim, felt victimized, given up your power. That's an archetype that is really powerful. And you could change that. You know, you really have to kind of, take a deep look and like, what, what is driving me? What is driving my behavior? What are the patterns? Another one might be um, hero. I mean, we all Mm -hmm. think we want to be the hero archetype, but the hero archetype, if that's all you ever do can be a burnout, exhausting, um, you know, not enough self care. uh, That's like the nurturer also. Yes. Yes. The nurturer, the mother. Right. Um, the innocent, you know, the childlike aspect where you're looking at everything through the eyes of a child, which is wonderful to have that awe and that sense of, you know, newness, but there's a lot, uh, there's not a lot of maturity involved in those behaviors. So if we look at the patterns of our behaviors and thoughts, and that's something not a lot of people want to do, we can often find, and not just one archetype, but a few, 
that are really active Mm-hmm. that we're buying into, that we're holding on to, that are not good or bad, but they're only good or bad in how imbalanced they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we all, because archetypes are universal, we all have aspects of all of them. But when things get out of balance, and there might be one that is just like warrior, everything, right. you know, you're driven, you're ambitious, you attack everything, you go for everything, but you know, you never slip and relax, you know, chill out. Um, There's always going to be one or two that are out of balance. And I think over the course of your lifetime, that, that will change. Well, also I think master one, you know, a new one might pop up. Yeah. That, which is what Jung was saying. He said, you know, sometimes archetypes come alive within us because of certain experiences. Yeah. Yeah, And I think new ones do emerge like, with Jung, he wrote a book about uh, UFOs. Uh, yeah. I think it was called Flying Saucers. And uh, he looked at it as an archetype of, of wholeness, actually, because it's circular, it's like a mandala. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's it's a, it's a totally different uh, uh, approach or look at uh, at UFOs. But, you know, he, he, he saw that as an archetypal connection. Yeah, and that reminds me of Graham Hancock's Supernatural book where uh-huh. he looked at um, alien symbolism and how no matter the culture, the religion, the time, it it, 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 it has so many universalities to it that it became archetypal. Mm-hmm. And I love it. I mean, I love this idea that life exists on, you know, you've got sort of the realm that we're in, the manifest, the day-to-day waking reality, and then you have a sort of super reality super consciousness if you will that is sort of the higher self and and linking us to higher beings and wisdom and all that but then you've got this sort of and when i say under i don't mean negative in any sense but this sort of subconscious realm Uh or the collective unconscious that carl jung talked about where so much of who we are is there Mm -hmm. but not a lot of people were willing to dig down and go down in there and take a look at these symbols and archetypes and patterns and and how they're influencing everything that we do in this day-to-day reality. Well, what do you think is the difference between uh, or the relationship between synchronicity and the collective unconscious? I think it's when, so we're all tapped into this collective unconscious, whether we uh-huh. realize it or not. And there are people in situations and circumstances that exist within it that, it, you know, if maybe it's our soul's evolution or our destiny or what have you, that we need those elements. So when they become important to us, if it's a goal that we're seeking or mm-hmm. a dream that we want to fulfill, stuff will bubble up, quote unquote, from that collective unconscious. Right. To link us to people or situations or books or circumstances or podcasts or radio shows, whatever, that we need to be aware of because they have a message for us right. or somebody that can help us. So, But that's where all that stuff is down there. It's like this incredible field of information that uh, we can tap into, like the zero point field or whatever, um, the Akashic records, whatever you want to call it. There's right. the kingdom of heaven. So we can tap into that when we need to, but the vast majority of people have no clue how to do that. But those things happen spontaneously in the form of synchronicities. But again, you've got to be paying attention. If you're not, boom, they pass you by. Right. And I'm not sure how many second, third chances we get. It seems like now today there are more people aware of these realms than say in the 1980s or yeah uh, the 1990s yeah right yes. but, and, <laughs> but also and there's a lot of people who are in the metaphysical world that uh, talk about a shift of consciousness that is happening literally in evolutionary step that's underway i hope but, so yeah but, <laughs> if you, but if you look at you know the, all the discontent and polarization in the everyday world it, you know uh it, it it's hard for many people i think to see this shift happening uh you know because uh but maybe maybe it's all that stuff is is needed to happen in order all to that make chaos it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah it, to bring some order and it's cyclical right. because you know i'm a child of the 60s 
Vietnam and and the women's movement. And so it's cyclical that you have the sort of the rising up, the ascension into another level of consciousness. And then we kind of, for a few decades, we sort of sit there and then, oh, (laughs) we need need to do this again, (laughs) folks. Things are, you know, and it's, but it's really interesting to, to kind of be a part of that and to recognize that pattern. And I read the coolest quote, and I wish I could remember who said it. I think it was David Hawkins. I don't know if you've read Power Versus Force. No. I think it was, oh my gosh, probably one of the most important books ever written. And I think he said we're 80, 80%, let's, and I'm just throwing this out there, it might be a little different. 80% of the people are asleep. They have no clue. 1% are, you know, manipulating everything that's going mm-hmm. on and the rest, whatever that is, I'm not really great at math are the ones who are awake and aware. And it doesn't matter that the 1% might have all the power and money. And it doesn't matter that the 80% don't have a clue what's going on. If that other percentage are awake and aware because they have that power uh. to spiritually move evolution forward i thought that was so cool right to a tipping point yeah Yeah. and 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 earlier when i was saying paying attention really that is that means having an an open mind Uh yeah the possibilities being receptive right because i mean you look around and you think oh my gosh there's so many people that are that are clueless and are we ever you know is are things ever going to change and the thing is and another thing um, is that, I, and David Hawkins said this, that one person who is vibrating at the highest possible level, like a Christ or a, a Buddha, right. can make up for the lower vibrations of millions. And I thought, oh, <laughs> there's Thank hope. God. Yeah. <laughs> there's but, hope. That's hope. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you look around, you see all this chaos, but in order right. to, to level up, it yeah. doesn't require that everybody be on board, just like right. I said, enough of a yeah. tipping point number. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what that shift uh, results in, we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> let's hope it results in a higher evolution of some right. sort. Yes, yeah. we hope so. <laughs> right. Marie, Marie, thank you for coming oh, wow, on this for this hour. Great. Oh, my gosh, you guys, this has been fun. We have to do it again. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Right. It yeah, it was and fun. I'd love to. I mean, we didn't even get into half the stuff. Our questions right. here. Uh, we That's just, okay. Uh, we can always have a just, part two. Just or... <laughs> nice uh, conversation. Yeah, this thank is fun. Thank you so much, guys. It's Good a great way to, to start a Sunday, too. Okay. And, and keep us posted on when your new book comes out and all that. Yeah, l- give us a, give us the title again. Uh, I don't know if we got the that new book is called "Out the Science and Oh Gosh." It's the afterlife, and the subtitle is still being worked out. Okay. Oh, okay. After, <laughs> you afterlife. Know, you have to have all the right keywords. Right? Yeah, that's true. Right. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. And oh, also, well, tell tell people how they can find you. Oh it. my gosh. Okay. So um, my website is mariedjones.com, and I'm on Facebook, Instagram everything else and i'm on so many sites that i often forget that i'm on them so <laughs> i see you're on linkedin but the and, website you can email me through so. yeah and and we'll put your website up on the uh, pod, podcast yeah. description yep okay. thanks guys Appreciate yeah, thank it you so very much. much well this is great i have want to good, talk again yeah, absolutely okay. you guys have been fabulous love it you take care have a good sunday you too Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining the Mystical Underground. Visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening. 
and stay mystical.